0: Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of Into the Future Of. I'm your host, Ben Meisner. And this is the podcast that takes you on an imaginative journey into what the future holds. This episode is called Into the Future of Brand Journeys. And I'm here with Douglas Nicol, one of the original founders and partners at The Works. The Works is a creative agency committed to helping people and brands find their significance and has clients including Subaru, Destination New South Wales, ComSec, Qantas, and Visa. Douglas, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, Douglas, how did you discover your passion for marketing? And what was the industry like when you first started out?
1: Well, I originally started in London as a graduate trainee in a what was then called a direct marketing agency. And this essentially was in a pre-digital world because I'm very old. And in that world, it was all about direct response and the science of direct response. And I started with the first client, um, which was selling incontinence products to old people in the UK, and in particular, rubber sheets for incontinent people. And our job was to optimize advertising to get as many people at the lowest possible cost to buy those rubber sheets. And that, that was my very unglamorous introduction to the world of advertising.
0: Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. And what, what does direct response mean exactly when it comes to selling rubber sheets? How would that
1: work? Well, it's a combination of the right message, um, the right proposition about why the, what the benefits of the product are, uh, in this case, the benefits, you know, you don't, you know, soil the, uh, the mattress, um, uh, but also finding the right channel. What is the right medium to reach your audience and engage with your audience so that they read your story and then they respond because in this world, it's all for nothing unless somebody clicks or picks up the phone or responds and engages with you in some way so that you can sell them something. Um, Because in that world, the Nirvana is not brand awareness. The Nirvana is a very low cost of sale because you've found a low cost channel, a very powerful sales proposition. You get the response, you convert them to sale, and you've done that very efficiently, spending as little money as possible. And that's the kind of world. And, and back when I started that world, that was pretty unfashionable. I, didn't, I just said I was in advertising because that, it wasn't a particularly fashionable thing to do. And then digital media came along and suddenly that skill set of optimization was really in demand. And that really helped me in my career because I kind of knew about data and media and good propositions, and good selling techniques. And now those skills are very much you know, in demand in a world where we're building out you know three-dimensional customer journeys.
0: Right. So how do you take those skills from the pre-digital age and and translate them into how marketing works today? how do how do those um, those things you were talking about translate?
1: Well, I think one of the things we sometimes get caught up in and I think sometimes, we disappear up our own back ends in the advertising industry and we forget that we're actually there to sell something. And I love a good idea and creativity, and uh, I love that. But at the end of the day, it is part of a process to drive brand preference. But even brand preference is about creating future demand for your products and services. And so for me, what I think is good in our business is that my partners in the business have had quite a brand focus and I've had a kind of a a bit of a focus on the customer journey and the evolving sales story to drive to conversion. And so in modern marketing, you've got to mix brand and emotion with salesmanship and digital and data prowess in order to manage a journey end to end and so it is um it's actually a much more exciting environment to work in today because you have so much more control um, on actually managing response and managing the engagement uh, with the consumer and and making it a much better experience for the consumer
0: right and from your perspective where does the brand journey begin and where does it end does it begin with learning of, about the brand for the first time and end with
1: buying the product, or is that too simplistic
0: a, a view?
1: No, I mean, that that is is—is broadly it. But the way you learn about a brand now comes in a few different guises because, in our view, you have to earn the right to have a conversation with the consumer. You can't just assume that the consumer is going to engage with you. So quite often the start of the conversation with a consumer, no matter what product or service you're offering, will be to jump into their world and actually talk about the things that matter to them. So that might be content marketing where you're creating editorial um, to engage with people. It might be that you're creating handy bits of utility calculators and uh, things that can help make their life a bit easier. And you engage them without trying to flog something, but to, to mm. actually start a conversation and actually put something into the relationship with the consumer before you actually start to tell your story. And I think um, the beauty of thinking about journeys is you can do that. You can start a conversation, add some value, and then over a series of of contact points, start to tell your story and engage and nurture that conversation through to it being much more of a kind of product style conversation, but just not starting with product. And, and, and I think in those early stages, brand is particularly important, but it's brand delivered through things like content and experiences and community and uh, then um, walking with the consumer across channels across time with an evolving story that drives through to conversion.
0: Mm, that's extremely interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about things from that perspective. And the, the concept of approaching people with what they're interested in just yeah, obviously makes a lot of sense. I know the works is focused on significance. What is meant by significance and how is that practically
1: applied when it comes to branding? I, I think um for us, significance comes out of I think a bit of a problem in the industry because I think the industry, the advertising industry is full of nice, polite, middle-class people like me. And it is very easy to drink your own Kool-Aid and believe that the proposition or the idea you're putting forward in a campaign, an advertising campaign, or whatever shape or form that is, is truly interesting to the consumer. is genuinely engaging, genuinely interesting. And I think sometimes we underestimate what it takes to create a bit of significance in your story so that the consumer stops and says this is actually worthy of my attention and I think we just get caught up in our own little bubble in the industry and we think that will do that will engage people um, and what we do is we say actually we want to create significance in small ways and that that could be just a brilliant um, email that um, you know calls out a value proposition that really is different and really is significant in the consumer's life, or it could be a whole brand campaign where the brand is talking about its journey towards sus- sustainability. Um, but Again, it comes back to the issue that I think we kid ourselves that we really know what mainstream Australia is interested in. Mm. And so what we do is I like to think we work a bit harder in the real world with real consumers to come up with propositions that are significant to them as opposed to what we think uh, in the industry.
0: Yeah, that that's such a good um, approach. Um, just the word significance because... I've seen posts on social media just have crickets, just go dead. They have a lot of views. No one responds. And sometimes, you know, I'm behind some of those posts and I think, well, maybe I didn't get the image right. Maybe I didn't do this or that. But ultimately, I haven't found, you know, I haven't connected with the audience. I haven't found what's significant to them rather than what I'm trying to push my own agenda. And I think, yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense to me personally.
1: Yeah. Great. Great
0: there are there are so many businesses and creators today who are competing for their audience's attention how do you create brand journeys that have sustainable growth given all the noise out there
1: yeah i think um i think the challenge for a lot of brands is we used to live in a world where you could do brand advertising and paid media and tell your story make a promise to the consumer and the consumer kind of divorced the process of dealing with the company through their call center or their customer service team with the brand promise. And what's fantastic is that that has changed, and uh, you just need to jump into the many brand groups for well-known brands um, on Facebook and uh, any other social media platform, and you can see the linkage in their mind between the brand promise and the experience of dealing with the brand and judging the brand by the experience rather than just the promise in the advertising. And I think um, what's great about what's happening now is that the customer experience and the brand promise are actually being connected and actually are working together in those forward-looking brands. And some clients struggle with that, but I think it's, um, it is exciting because I think if you have a strong promise and a great customer experience across the journey, um, you, you are really delivering through results.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What are your favorite marketing and strategy tools that you use, Douglas, and would recommend to others? That they might want to use?
1: Yeah, I think um, we talk a lot about being customer-centric. You hear people saying, oh, we're going to put the customer at the center of everything. And they're not really, they're not genuinely doing that because they're putting the product really at the center and how they can flog their product to the consumer. And I think one of the things that we I think we put a lot of effort into is actually taking a step back and saying, what is the emotional journey that a consumer goes on when they're in this category, when they're buying a house they're or they're, you know, they've had a baby or life stage change or whatever the, the context is for that journey. And taking a step back and looking and understanding the emotional journey that a consumer is going on. So if we take, for example, buying a house, Um, we do a technique called emotional journey mapping, where we work with quite a large number of consumers and get them to talk and map out the emotional highs and lows of buying a house. Right. And we have this great emotion, emotionometer with 32 different emotions, uh, with despair at the bottom and joy at the top. and. This allows them to literally draw the highs and lows of buying a home. So missing out on the first auction is the the lowest of the low point on that journey. It's terrible. And, uh, And when you map that out and aggregate it, you get some really good insights about how people are feeling what their needs are across time for them as humans without talking about product at all. This is no time to be examining the yeah. home learned. It's time to really get up the skin of the emotional journey. And if you do that, suddenly you can go, gosh, this would be a great time to engage with consumers with relevant content or experiences because they're on a low or they're on a high or their needs have changed, but they're always expressed as emotions. And we find that as a really healthy way for us in the agency and also for our client partners to, to actually have a conversation about emotions and consumer needs away from product um, because that way you are truly being consumer centric as opposed to kind of going, oh, it's really about the product. So um, so I think one of the things I love doing is when we're working on a project and we use emotional journey mapping to map out that journey away from any product talk and actually really genuinely focus on the consumer and genuinely put the consumer at the centre. So I think those kind of techniques are really healthy so that we're again honest to ourselves about putting consumers at the center
0: yeah uh, i mean i think that's genius and maybe i just haven't read enough marketing books but that's that's um just makes so much sense to me as an approach to fi- you know finding the product how the product fits in when the customer's emotional journey yeah just rings so true how do you expect that Brand journeys might evolve in the future. What might marketers be focused on in 10 or 20 years from now? How how do you see the industry changing, basically, as we move into a more and more hectic um, digital world?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, there's so many exciting things happening at the moment that will give us new ways to engage with consumers. If we look out over the next 10 years, I think uh, one of one of the areas that we've been quite interesting and in playing with is the concept of emotional data. So we collect in the world of marketing quite, quite rational data. And um, we know that in order to engage with consumers, you need to be empathetic to the context in which you're dealing with them. And quite often, we don't fully understand the emotional context when we're engaging with them across the customer journey. And so um, there is an increasing ability to understand somebody's emotional state when you're uh, engaging with them. Actually, as as a side note, we as humans, when we're dealing in real life with humans talking to each other, we're Mm -hmm. actually quite bad at picking up their emotional state. Uh, so for example, we're bad at reading people's faces and seeing if they're highly anxious. And so um, we sometimes miss out on that. And it's it's possible that data and technology can help us um, drive much greater empathy between brand and consumer. So uh, as examples, um, you know, Probably the most interesting areas for gathering emotional data would be voice. So voice and analytics is um, a very interesting way to gauge a consumer's uh, emotional state. Right. Um, And you can do immediate diagnostics. Somebody's talking in chat, for example, or maybe um, on on a call center call, our ability to actually give prompts to the Call center person as to the emotional state of the person and change the scripting based on that is really important. Wow. Or in the world of text engagement, so you, maybe a chatbot or um, the consumer is using text to engage with the brand, um, the choice of words, the syntax, the sentence structure are all clues as to someone's emotional state. Um, but it goes beyond that. I mean, in in a video world, how someone is sitting or standing, their gait is is a clue to their emotions, their gestures with their hands, their biometrics, their face. There's a whole bunch of different things, and an increasing capacity of technology and communication channels to to use that data to provide something that is m- a much more contextually relevant engagement for the brand because we understand their emotional state. Are they stressed? Are they relaxed? Are they in a, a fun mood? And you alter your you know, your engagement methodology to, to reflect that. It's kind of quite an interesting area and uh, that's something we're keeping a close eye on because it does open some amazing creative engage and engagement um, opportunities probably another area that we're keeping a close eye on is no code, low code. Mm. So um, for those who are less familiar with that, is it used to be if you wanted to create a wonderful app, for example, and you go, Oh, we've got a great idea for an app so that we can engage with consumers, but it's going to cost $400,000 to develop. <laughs> and everyone, everyone goes, Well, there's no way what happens if it doesn't work how and that's because you had to have a team of coders creating that experience at great expense because coders earn lots of money and they're an expensive group of people but in a no-code low-code environment you can actually give to a fairly untrained audience an ability um, to actually create a prototype app It might be a bit ugly, might be a bit rough around the edges, but no code, low code is literally drag and drop on the screen. So you could create a working prototype of a digital experience and then go and test it with consumers to see what happens before you spend the $400,000 on creating something that's flasher, more elegant so i think it's really interesting because quite often clients aren't in a position to take bets and take risks on new kind of experiences on the journey but no code low code affords us the opportunity of experimentation in a whole new way and i think that's really exciting Um, it does make me question the career of a coder in the future because um you know no code low code means that some of their work will disappear but um Life is always evolving.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I think there'll still be a place for coders when it comes to more technical or or more um, graphically intensive stuff. I mean, to do a no-code. I Uh, mean, yeah, there will still be a place, but I agree, certain amounts of low-level coding. I think that's a very optimistic, yeah, view of everything. What would your advice be for someone just starting out in marketing and branding?
1: I would say. Don't be a generalist in marketing, have your I hate this expression, but I'm going to use it because it explains it, have your superpower. So be T shaped, understand the whole picture of marketing, but don't just be a generalist, have a skill that you go deep in psychology, data analytics. Um. Web, uh, analytics, it it could be a whole bunch of different things, but um, go deep on something because we we want people in our industry who understand the big picture, who are not stuck in a silo, but they have that specialist skill that they can contribute to a collaborative group, a really deep, special skill. Um, So we always encourage our people in their professional development to understand all aspects of marketing and marketing communications from brand through to conversions, but then develop a skill set that can contribute to a collaborative group that goes deep. And uh, that's pretty important, I think.
0: Yeah, that is excellent advice. Thank you so much, Douglas, for taking the time today to discuss with me the past, evolution and future of brand journeys. I have learned a lot from our conversation and thoroughly
1: enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you.